0: Jeremiah, a burning fire. Uh, We still have about two more messages in Judges, but that'll have to wait uh, towards the end of October because the next two Sundays, uh, and I'm just saying it now so I don't forget at the end, Pastor Theron is going to begin a series on Amos, and so he'll be preaching the next two Sundays, and then I will finish out Judges, and then he will close out the Amos series November 5th, Uh, when I'm in Nicaragua, but an opportunity to walk through uh, that Old Testament book, and I'm looking forward uh, to him preaching Uh, for us, getting to be able to sit under that for a whole series uh, on the book of Amos, excited to learn uh, what he has to share there. As I mentioned, Jeremiah and the idea of a burning fire, and, and just as we start out, I just want to make a statement that I think we all know, but God has not promised that his gospel ministry will be easy Or that we even will grasp exactly how what we do and experience functions and fulfills his great purpose. He hasn't promised that it's easy and he hasn't promised that we will necessarily understand every component. But he has promised this, that what we do for him will be eternally fruitful and that he will make all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The idea that it's not always easy and that it doesn't always make sense, Uh, if you turn into the Old Testament and look at the prophets, one of the prophets that exemplifies that truth so well is Jeremiah. He's described by some as the post-Christian prophet, uh, the one to preach to post-Christian times. He's a man who was the unwanted yet truthful voice of God in his era. He was called to preach repentance to an unresponsive people, He confronted ungodly kings, untruthful prophets, and unfaithful people. As he states in Jeremiah 2.13, in a very clear illustration, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. He's constantly called to preach to a hard-hearted people For them to turn from this world's broken and false replica of a God to the only God who redeems the only God of life. It was a message largely unheeded by Judah, a message of judgment that saw fulfillment in Babylonian destruction and captivity, which was a reality that broke Jeremiah's heart. Uh, Irving Jensen says this, By divine design, it was Jeremiah who was called to prophesy in the darkest hours of Judah when Judah as a nation died. He is known as the weeping prophet and the prophet of the broken heart, but he wept not for his own trials, grievous as they were. It was the sins of his nation and the fearful destruction these sins were bringing upon them that broke Jeremiah's heart. So as Francis Schaeffer notes, Jeremiah provides us with an extended study of an era like our own, where men have turned away from God and society has become post-Christian. And it's to this type of people, this ministry, that the divinely called Jeremiah struggled at times to understand and accept his role in giving God's message. He preached 50-plus years, going through, I think, four different kings. He faced opposition and derision, and at times he wondered internally with why God has called him to this task. He wrestles with that thought continually throughout the book, But it is in those instances of distress that we get a window into the prophet's soul showing the deep personal price that he has to pay for his faith and his faithfulness. And it's to one of these that we're turning this morning, chapter 20 of Jeremiah, to see that battle and understand what it means to truly have a burning fire in your bones to proclaim God's truth, no matter the response or reality in which we live. My goal with this whole message, one, as we walked as a church in ordaining Pastor Theron to the gospel ministry is to be a call in his life that no matter what comes up, that the word of God is a burning fire, but it's also a call to us as a church to have a burning fire, a truly burning fire that we cannot but proclaim Christ no matter what we encounter in this world. So we encounter Jeremiah in the midst of one of his sermons or oracles, uh, preaching the destruction of Judah at the temple. And this is around 606 BC, during the reign of King Jehoiakim. If you've ever read Jeremiah cover to cover, and you're wondering if it's a chronological history, it is not. So it is based on these sermons and how they fit together and the message that God wants to bring. It's not always set in chronological order at all. So this is early on. In Jeremiah 19:14 and 15, it says this, this is his message. Then came Jeremiah, from Tophet, where the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the Lord's house and said to all the people, by the way, he was a prophet and a priest, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring upon this city and upon all her towns all the evil that I have pronounced against it, because they have hardened their necks that they might not hear my words." And he is a weeping prophet, a broken prophet. He's the prophet that had to preach to people who didn't want to hear what he was saying because they had other prophets saying, don't worry, Uh, we're going to be fine. It's not going to be a problem. We're going to get over this. We're going to prosper. We're going to be victorious. And he is almost a singular voice during this time saying, no, that's not what God said. That God has something else for us. Well, a man named Pasher, who is both a priest and the chief officer, hears Jeremiah speaking and he has Jeremiah whipped. In Scripture, it says he's beaten. And really, likely what Jeremiah received at that time were 40 lashes based on what Deuteronomy 25.3 would allow. And so when you see that he got beat, it's not a whipping or two, but instead a formal punishment that took place. And then it says that Pasher placed him in the stocks where his hands, feet, and head were placed through holes which contorted his body and caused extreme pain. Where is he placed in the stocks? It's not in prison, but it's at the gate. There's stocks at the gate. It's the Benjamin Gate, upper northern Benjamin Gate, because they wanted everyone to see what happens to someone that confronts them and speaks of God's judgment. Jeremiah is released the next day, and instead of backing down, he renames Pasher to Magor Misabib. And you, you get extra chicken, if you remember that at the end of the service, what his name was. But it means this, terror on every side. And, and what Jeremiah was saying was he was reiterating his message. He says, Pasher, you're going to see your friends struck down by the sword. You're going to witness people you know hauled off to Babylon. He himself would be hauled off to Babylon after seeing the Babylonians take all the wealth of Judah and Jerusalem. And that he would ultimately die there and be buried with the friends to whom he, Pasher, had prophesied falsely. I want us to see as he's coming out of the pain and punishment what he did. Yet those strong and bold words from Jeremiah were not all he was feeling or experiencing. The rest of the chapter deals with a cry to God saying that the mocking and the disrespect and the ridicule are are wearing on him. He preaches God's word and it says he feels like it's become a reproach and the reason why people attack him. He wants to stop speaking God's word, but realizes that he cannot stop speaking because that truthful message is in his heart, and not speaking God's word creates a burning in his bones. And what they're trying to say is there's such an intensity that you cannot stop a burning word, that he must preach no matter how his world responds. And so with that burning word in perspective, we take a moment to see and recognize what can waylay us from speaking it. Uh, for Theron, I'm I, kind of specifically kind of diving in for him on this. What can knock you off course? What are things that can come in and recognizing what they are from Jeremiah's circumstances and then seeing how they are overcome? And so as we look at Jeremiah's circumstances, we must first recognize the potential pressure Jeremiah twenty one through 6, it says, Now Pasher, the son of Emer, the priest, who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasher brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah unto him, and Pasher's thinking that Jeremiah is going to recant. He says, The Lord hath not called thy name Pasher, but Magor Misabib. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself and to all thy friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it. And I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, which is the first time he names the oppressor that's coming in a specific way. And he shall carry them captive into Babylon and shall slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the strength of this city and all the labors thereof and all the precious things thereof and all the treasures of the kings of Judah will I give into the hand of their enemies, which shall spoil them and take them and carry them to Babylon. And thou, Pasher, and all that dwell in thine house shall go into captivity, and thou shalt come to Babylon, and there thou shalt die and shalt be buried there, thou and all thy friends to whom thou hast prophesied lies. And if you think Jeremiah is a coward, and I want you to make sure you get this image correct in your mind as we walk into where his his struggle comes. You recognize that after being beat 40 times, put in stocks for 24 hours, that when you're released and the first thing you say is, what I said is right and let me get very personal and let you know exactly what's going to happen to you, you recognize that this is not a coward or a weak man. What we see is that Jeremiah encountered significant pressure or pushback from the world of his day. They're not pleased with what he's saying. He's actually accused of being a traitor They wanted to kill him for committing treason because he preached what God had said. And so we find that he experienced physical abuse. Later on in his ministry, beyond this beating in the stocks, later on they're going to throw him in a pit that has water in it. It's sinking constantly to let him drown in a very slow way. The reality of God's truth, though, is often those who need it and who we are striving to reach hate it. And that's something we have to accept as we bring truth, that the world doesn't love truth. That the world is not enamored with truth. They're not sitting there saying, oh, everything makes sense to me. But instead, they will come after truth with some of the ugliest hate possible. They can resort to violence and physical attack. Many of us cannot fathom the idea or that reality. We don't don't see that in our world our in our country. But we know That around the world, fellow believers face physical attacks for believing and preaching God's Word. I read The Voice of the Martyr and go through it, and I'm just shocked by uh, different sufferings that people walk through. I just read of one where they lock Christians up in sea containers in the middle of the desert and give them meager rations. You imagine how hot that gets in there and the suffering that is faced, and yet those people remain faithful uh, to the Word. There is a potential for physical abuse. This world hates the message of truth that God has sent to it. Now, along with that physical abuse, one that we probably will encounter more quickly, we find psychological stress. Don't lose sight of where he was put in the stocks. He's in the north gate, off of the court of the Lord. So at the temple, they have punishment designed to be public. And they're taking a man who is both a priest and a prophet, who's preached God's word, who knows that truth, and they've made a public example of him, and they've set him up to be ridiculed. He's sitting there. Later on, Jeremiah will talk about the fact that he hears many whisperings. In this chapter alone, and we'll see it in the next segment, he talks about this idea that his closest friends have denounced him. Jeremiah is being pushed to second-guess the prophecy that he's giving. He knows it is God's truth, but the overwhelming majority of people, people close to him, are saying he is off base. And I want us to kind of grasp what that does to you. Because we recognize that our court system is oftentimes wicked, and we see them push back, and we recognize that this world is oftentimes difficult. But what if your family and friends start doing that? What if they start saying, let's denounce him. Actually, his friends and family are trying to trick him so they can end up getting him killed. Yet Jeremiah changed nothing about what he said. He just applied it specifically to the one person that was denying it so vehemently. Which leads me to the next kind of idea. Even though he's been mocked, he's been labeled, he's been prodded to join the voices of false prophets preaching victory and security, and everyone loves to preach the win, Instead, he responds by persisting in truth. Right after he's freed, he renames Pasher, and it highlights what's really going to take place. I want you to recognize, uh, before you grab that and say, great, when the world attacks me, I'll just call them names. I will rename them, all the things I want to rename them and go after them. That's not what he's doing. Uh, He wasn't being ugly or vindictive when he did this. This is a way of teaching the nation, you're no longer Pasher, you are terror on every side. This is what reality is. And so Jeremiah changed nothing, but only isolated and and focused in, you're going to whip me and put me in stocks? My answer to you is, God is going to accomplish this, and you're going to personally witness it. He was making the message God wanted crystal clear. I put as an action step, we must recognize the potential of physical abuse and likely psychological stress that comes to those who bear God's truth. We have to be prepared and dedicated to not alter that message, even though pressure may come from the world or even harder from friends and family. We must remain true to what God has said and apply it accurately to our world. What we see in his focus on pasture is a very specific application of God's truth, that it's not left in theory. Instead, the message got more poignant, got more personal, got more applicable. But the hardest thing sometimes to overcome when we look at potential pressure uh, is the thoughts in our own heads. So we look, as we look at being as church with a message we need to share, it is important that we also recognize the potential doubts. This is the reality of life, is it not? And so I'm going to read portions of chapter 27 through the first part of nine, verse 10, and then 14 through 18, which is this massive self-doubt, I wish I never lived, that takes us all the way back to what Job said at one time, uh, likely was said or thought while he was in the stocks. Again, it's not a chronological order, so it's just laid out there. But let me read that to see what happens when doubts arise? O oh Lord, thou hast deceived me, he says, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil. He says, I'm predicting what's going to come because thy word, because the word of the Lord has made a reproach unto me and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. Verse 10, it said, For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. Report, say they, and we will report it. All my familiars watch for my halting, saying, Peradventure, he will be enticed, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. And notice who wants to take revenge on Jeremiah. It's people close to him. Then 14 through 18, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. And let that man be as the cities which the Lord overthrew and repented not, and let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noontime, because he slew me not from the womb, or that my mother might have been my grave, and her womb to be always great with me. Wherefore came I forth out of the womb to see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame." And you can see the brokenness that would come from somebody potentially locked in a painful position, shamefully put in front of all the nation to say, he's wrong. What he says is out of whack. See, Jeremiah is left wondering about what he's doing. He is doubting that he fulfills any good purpose because of the pressure of the many. He's exhausted by the constant attempts to trip him up. That's verse 10. And think about that. Think about if someone has just zeroed in on you. Their goal is to make sure they get you, to trap you, to get you to fall, because they want to take revenge on you. He wishes he had never been born. That's verses 14 through 18. Very similar to how Job uh, processed his grief and his pain at one point. Again, a thought possibly occurring when he's stuck in those stocks. And that leads us to doubts about God. When we have doubts in our mind, when we are pressed on every side, when we have a hard time understanding what's going on, when the world comes crashing in, what happens is we start having doubts about God. When he says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. The word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me. He's speaking to the fact that God's called him into a ministry, and he's saying, why in the world am I doing this? Now, I want us to understand something. The word deceived, that's translated there. The Hebrew word is a lot deeper than how we see deceived. When I say I deceived you, you see me doing something wrong, right? Of tricking you. The word in Hebrew doesn't mean to trick. It's, it's a word that means persuade. And it's really to induce by words to do a thing. In other words, he's saying to God, you are the one who convinced me to serve you. You're the one You're the driving force of me being called to this. It's God's calling is what he's saying. You put me in this role. And what's happened is Jeremiah's perspective on God's call, which is to speak God's truth to a hateful nation, his perspective on God's word has shifted to something negative. He no longer sees this as what is good And he no longer sees himself as fulfilling God's role, but actually what he's starting to doubt is that God is even present, that God has his best at heart. He's questioning whether serving God is worth it. He doubts God. This calling is no good. I don't want this. You talked me into this. And every time I do what you call me to do, this world comes after me. They're hunting me, they're ridiculing me, they're hurting me. And so what happens is Jeremiah doubts his purpose. What comes from this is he says, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He doesn't say he's gonna speak against God, he doesn't say he's gonna turn his back in that sense, but he just says, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm finished. He has decided that proclaiming God's truth is only viable when it doesn't rock anyone's boat. I can't do this because people don't respond like I'd like them to respond. They're not repenting. They're not turning. They're not doing anything. You say preach repentance, and they say lock them up and beat them. Now, I want us to be fair to Jeremiah. His message severely rocked people's boats. I don't think we even grasp our, in case we're thinking this, we are not even at the point of preaching to people who are as resistant as the people Jeremiah was preaching to. Judah had locked in on false prophets. They had locked in on a lie, and they had set that up first. Jeremiah is speaking to people that don't want to listen, and everything he says rocks their boat. I put in my notes for action step, we need to recognize the potential for doubt that can come over us. And to be completely direct, we tend to doubt a lot faster over a lot less resistance than Jeremiah faced. We bail with the hint of being canceled on social media by so-called friends, where Jeremiah struggles come after a beating and friends trying to set him up to be accused and killed. I want us to see the comparison there a little bit. So don't don't think you're in a Jeremiah moment because someone defriended you on Facebook. Because that doesn't count as facing any sense of pressure. But I understand pressures come. The idea is this, we're not just to preach God's word when everyone's happy with it. We have to see the damage that comes with doubt and discouragement. I want us to understand that that doubt and discouragement is Satan's playground to render us ineffective, to prod us to quit. Because what we learn from Jeremiah's circumstance, one, we understand who he is. We understand how brave he was, how courageous he was, how persistent he was. We also see what pressure does to somebody. And we see how his mind, when it starts to doubt, shifts from trusting God to doubting God. And then he doubts God, he doubts God's call on his life, and you see the playground that Satan is in because he has Jeremiah now saying, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. He's not denying the truth, he just says, I don't want to proclaim that truth anymore. He wants to quit. But quitting is not an option when it comes to God's truth and his purpose. If you remember nothing from this sermon, remember that as his child, as God's child, you don't have the option to quit. God's truth and his purpose are to be your calling. Jeremiah may have thought about stopping. He may have wished to stop. But as he makes clear, he could not stop. And neither should we because we must recognize the pressing call and message. Jeremiah 29, the end of it, and then 11 through 13. When he thought to quit speaking, proclaiming, sharing, preaching, testifying, witnessing, he found that he could not Let me read 9b. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. And when I mention that it's a burning fire, and what Jeremiah is communicating is, I know God's word in my heart. The burning is this sense of I can't stop. I'm I'm almost hurting when I don't share truth. That's what he's trying to communicate. He's not making this a cozy campfire. He's talking about the fact that he knows God's word in his heart. When he decided, I'm not going to talk about God anymore, that God's word began to burn in him. That he felt the pressure, the intensity, the need to preach it. 11 goes on, but the Lord, as he answers his own doubts, is with me as a mighty, terrible one. And that means God comes in as the dreaded and feared warrior. "'Therefore my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. "'They shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper.'" Notice the next words. "'Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten.'" And you see these minds shift from this world to eternity. He goes on, "'But O Lord of hosts, thou that triest the righteous, "'and seest the reins in the heart, "'you see the actions and you see the motivation, "'let me see thy vengeance on them, "'for unto thee have I opened my cause.'" And then he goes to praise him, sing unto the Lord, praise you the Lord, for he hath delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evil doers. As one writer remarks, prophets did not leave off speaking to the people until they were slain. Thus, when Jeremiah was despised like other teachers and scholars of his age, he could not, though he desired it, withhold his prophecy or cease from reminding the people of the truths which they rejected. God had called him to prophesy from the womb. And there is no quitting. Jeremiah one five says this: Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So though Jeremiah doubted and struggled, and we can see that actually throughout the whole book, you'll you'll get a picture of that at times. He also understood that preaching, teaching, testifying, sharing, proclaiming God's message, proclaiming God's life-giving truth, is the highest calling. We all sit here as his children. I hope everyone is is God's child. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I hope you'll be convicted this morning to put your faith and trust in him. But for those of us that are true believers, this calling is to be an unavoidable one. That's the message from Jeremiah 20. The burning fire is not a campfire again. It's in other words, you're supposed to not be able to not proclaim. You have to do this. It's an unavoidable calling for us. God's Word must be in our hearts. It must cause burning in our bones if we neglect it. We should become exhausted if we don't share His Word. Let me say that again. You're supposed to be exhausted if you don't share His Word. Yet, sadly, we seem to only get tired when we do share it. But the point of Jeremiah is... You should be broken if you're not. You can take a quick look in the New Testament just to see how that plays out. Acts 18:5, it says this: when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. If you read through the books of Acts, the book of Acts, whenever Paul preaches to the Jews, nothing good seems to come of it. Now, I don't want to say that because if you see, you'll see Jews becoming believers in Jesus Christ. But usually they're going to stir up the town and they're going to bring the pressure to him. But was he going to skip that? Not at all because he's pressed in the spirit. What did God say to him? I need you to preach the gospel to them. What they may do with it is not for you to decide whether or not you're going to give the message. He was burdened. He was burning to testify about Jesus and that he was the Messiah. He writes to the church in Corinth about preaching. And by the way, the church in Corinth was, a, was just a struggling church, horrific church. They undermined Paul's authority. They did anything they could to get away with whatever they wanted. And Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And we know those verses. We see them. I would uh, speak to Theron directly on this. I hope it's woe unto you if you don't preach the gospel. I hope that it's a constant burning for you to do it, that if any time doubt comes in and pressure comes in, you say, well, I don't know if I want to preach boldly for Christ. Well, I hope that that burning is so intense that you cannot but preach. But to the whole church, you walk into work and you know you're able to preach the gospel at different times you know there's opportunity that you bypass because you don't feel like it. You don't feel like putting that as a priority or you think to yourself, well, that's not gonna help me advance or I don't wanna irritate the boss or I don't wanna bother my coworkers. And I'm not talking about being a nuisance. I'm just saying, what do you trade off there? And I pray that woe is unto you if you don't preach the gospel. See, like Jeremiah, Paul felt with intensity the need to share God's truth. Now, the result for Jeremiah was giving praise and glory to the highest one. As we fulfill the highest calling, it will result in glory and praise being given to the highest one. God is the mighty and feared warrior before whom no one will ever stand. It is in him alone that we glory, knowing his truth prevails forever. Irving Jensen also wrote about this. He says, The most extreme test was no match for Jeremiah's complete trust in God. May the same be true of God's servants today. See, he felt pressure crashing in on him, and the doubts in his mind just started swirling. And, and let's be honest, we all know we have doubts that come in our mind, that our mind oftentimes will become the, the almost worst enemy for ourselves, that, that thinking and the balancing and, and what it does. But ultimately, his trust in God was more than his own personal doubts and the pressures of this world. I wonder, though, if we've recognized the pressing message to which we have been called? And do we ultimately trust God deeply enough to faithfully give his message to a world that despises it? Because when we don't give his message, it speaks to our lack of trust. So as we close this morning, I want us to zero in on the burning nature of God's truth, his message entrusted to his children to be shared with a lost and often hard world. I read a quote about Jeremiah that said this, that he gave the sharp truth of God's eternal word, word and how it stands against the reassuring lies of false prophets. There, and I would say this specifically to you. I pray that you will always courageously give God's truth no matter how much the world enjoys their reassuring lies. I pray that you'll never let the pressure and doubts of this world dull you to the call in your life to preach his truth boldly. And to the church, I hope as God's children, we trust God deeply enough to share his gospel message of eternal life consistently and boldly to a dying world. As I prepare to close in prayer, I want to leave us all with a thought to ponder when it comes to this burning word, just something to to process when you go home, something to think about, because again, the burning word is that if I don't preach I should feel a burning intensity to preach, to share, to testify. And here's my question for us all, and then I'll close in prayer. Is God's message a burning in your bones, or can you barely feel the heat? And as a believer, I hope that the answer is it is a burning in my bones. Because I can share this, if you're not sharing God's Word and you feel no heat at all, well, then As Paul writes to Corinth, you better examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. Because as God's child, his message must be a burning in our bones. It must be something that we have to proclaim.